Welcome back to The Practical Woodsman. In this episode, we're going to talk all about water, how to find it, how to ensure it's clean, why I don't use water filters, my experience with parasites, and a whole lot more. So stick around. Welcome back, everybody, to the Practical Woodsman Podcast. Thanks for joining me again this week. If it's too much to call me the Practical Woodsman all the time, or if you're wondering what my real name is, you can call me Rut. Rut may sound strange to a lot of you, but uh, it's a short form of Russell for many of us Appalachian people, so Rut it is. I want to thank everybody for their suggestions last week. I presented a a challenge or actually was a kind of a, a plead for help uh, to come up with a brand new term other than bushcraft survival backpacking and so forth a, a brand new term that has not been corrupted and uh, I got some good recommendations I'm still thinking about them and I'm still allowing more time for more suggestions to come in those of you who are watching can see somebody there in the background that's my little girl, Eloise. Eloise, you want to come up and say hello to everybody? Hello. We went on a really dangerous hike yesterday, didn't we? Uh, I don't think it was that dangerous, but yeah. Well, we went through a time portal, and we ended up in the prehistoric times. The Cretaceous. Oh, it was Cretaceous. What else? Uh, do you remember anything? Were there any good other good parts of that hike? Uh, well... There was, on one of the worlds, there was, um... You had to explain to them. So we, it was a two and a half mile hike. And along the way, since we come from a spaceship and went through a black hole and ended up on this planet, there were pockets of different worlds within the same world, right? Yeah. Uh, different worlds in the same world. Like, um, there was Monopoly World? Yeah, I remember that. Uh, and... If you if you step on the wrong log, well you'll you'll have to go to jail. What was the name of those spiders? They were like ambush spiders. You said no. Gi- giant ambush spiders. Yeah, those. <laughs> Scary stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we survived, and uh, here we are. So she's here with me today, and I'm going to have her sit in the background. Hey, uh, antes de sentarte. Queremos hablar un ratito en español para las personas que hablan español. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. ¿Cómo estás? Bien. Habla. <laughs> Yo no sé qué decir. Habla. Uh, fuimos al bosque ayer. Okay, well, thanks for joining us. Once you have a seat, we're going to do this show here. Before we get started, really, on today's show, I wanted to... Uh, state a disclaimer since we're going to be talking about water and all sorts of other things in sometimes dangerous situations out there in the woods i don't want to give you folks the idea that i'm accepting responsibility for anybody else's decisions or anything like that even if you make decisions based on information i talk about here in the show you're still responsible for your own decisions and actions not me okay I accept no responsibility whatsoever for anything you do or don't do or say or drink or anything like that, all right? When out in the woods, the backcountry, the wilderness, what is the most important thing of all things that the woodsman must always have in mind? I watched a conversation related to this topic take place online once upon a time, and it was interesting to observe other people's thinking on the on the topic. Some said shelter was the most important thing of all things. Others said food. In fact, those seem to be the two most popular answers. Shelter and food. But those answers are wrong. You can survive in a lot of different scenarios for a long time without shelter. You can survive for a long time without food. What you cannot survive for a long time without is water. Water and fire. 
those two great opposites in nature, I argue, from a lot of experience in a lot of different situations and circumstances, are the two most important things of all for the woodsman. And if you think about it, as far as water is concerned, it's not that it's just the most important physical thing of all physical things for the woodsman, but it's also the most important physical thing to everybody, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter if you're at home or if you're not at home. Water is the number one necessity for the woodsman, and I would argue that fire is number two. Yes, even over food and shelter, I'll tell you why. Imagine cold and nasty, terrible conditions, and you have to try getting through a winter night by giving up one thing. So you either have to give up your tent, or you have to give up the opportunity to have a blazing fire. Which one would you choose to surrender away? In almost all circumstances, I would choose to surrender away the shelter. Not in all circumstances, but in the vast majority of circumstances. One exception that immediately comes to mind would be in the case of relentless wind. Maybe you've noticed by now that wind, in my opinion, is one of the most dangerous natural elements to the woodsman. Widowmakers. You know what those are? Those are branches that break out of the top of trees and kill you. Wind of course, makes that, turns a forest into a great big dangerous minefield. I mean, you don't know what trees are going to fall, entire trees could fall over. Um, relentless wind can make fire impossible to make, or even if you can get it made, it can make that fire irrelevant. In other words, it's, it's just blowing away the heat. So even if you got a blazing fire and you're standing there right there next to it, the heat never reaches you because the wind is just blowing it away. It can take a relatively harmless temperatures and turn them deadly. So anyway, wind is a discussion for another time. I'm just saying that the, that would be the exception to an occasion where I might not give up my shelter in favor of a fire because if I can't make the fire, if the fire is going to do me no good, the next best thing might be having a wind you know having something to get out of the wind a couple months ago i was in the back country in the snow blanketed mountains and the high temperatures during the day were at 10 degrees fahrenheit that is minus 12 degrees celsius those of you who are watching the show right now on youtube and rumble should be seeing video of that experience with myself and my buddy next to our campfire as cold as it was I could have slept all night in the open next to the fire without blankets, without sleeping bags, and I could have survived those nights for sure. Now, notice I'm not saying it would have been pleasant. <laughs> those would have been sleepless nights for sure. I would have been having to wake up every hour or so to stoke the fire and keep it blazing, but it would be possible to survive it. Can I say the same about crawling into a tent in those sorts of temperatures with no heat source, no sleeping bags, and no blankets? Absolutely not. I would have died in the night, no question about it. But what if it's snowing, you say? It makes no difference. Right next to the fire, all night, is the only place to be. What good is a tent for keeping snow off of me? if I have no source of heat to keep myself from freezing. How about food? Well, I can survive about three weeks without food. Three to four weeks. Now notice I'm not saying that those are going to be a pleasant or easy three weeks or that after a week and a half I'm going to have much energy to do much with, but I will be alive. That brings us to water. How long can you survive without water? Well, everything you read or hear seems to say three days. 
that's quite a bit less time, ain't it, than three weeks. So any way you shake and bake it, you can see right there that water is by far the greater importance. It's of far greater importance than food is. What all those sources of information don't tell you when they say that you can survive for three days without water is that this number is highly, highly relative. So three days sitting in my living room is not the same as three days of hiking in the middle of winter. Do you know what happens when you're hiking in the middle of winter on those beautiful blue sky days? What happens is that there's very little moisture in the air and every breath you take is dehydrating you because the moisture from your body is coming out in your breath. person gets dehydrated very easily in those sorts of conditions in the cold. Furthermore, just like three days of sitting on my couch in my living room is not the same as me hiking through the mountains in the winter time. Hiking through the mountains in the winter is not at all the same as me stumbling through the desert under the blazing sun, is it? In scalding temperatures, no shade around, while gallons of sweat pour out of me by the second. So, you know, it's something to bear in mind. When you hear somebody say that you can survive three days without water, this is most likely a very generous estimate. That is, assuming perfect conditions, such as you sitting in your living room. And what are the chances of that? Do I have any first-hand experience of going without water in the wilderness? And can I tell you what the experience was like? Yes, I do. And yes, I can. I once went a single day and night and a few hours the next morning without a single drop of water. To say it was unpleasant is like the greatest under, uh, understatement of all time. The craving I experienced was like nothing I had ever experienced before or since. It was all consuming. It was miserable, I tell you. This was on a journey across a mountain, so along like the spine of a mountain at the peak in the middle of winter. And because it was in the middle of winter, at the end of the day, I still had to work to set up camp and keep a fire going that night, but I'll tell you what. The indescribable thirst made those things infinitely more difficult than they had to be. I had a pounding headache that made clear thought almost impossible. I got to a point where I just had no patience whatsoever. I remember that very clearly. Bending over to tie my boot, had no patience for it. It was just everything was a tremendous burden. One interesting effect of that intense thirst was that in the absence of any liquids, which is what uh, my body was gasping and desperate for, you know, I resorted to eating things, just anything, put anything in me. And it's crazy to think about. I'm thirsty. I'm not hungry at all. I'm thirsty. But there's nothing to drink. So my body just compels me to do anything to try to relieve that thirst. And so I remember eating a bagel. It was frozen solid, so I had to thaw it out over my fire, kind of toasted it over my fire just to get it uh, thawed out so that I could eat it. I remember eating that uh, bagel. It just made the thirst worse. It didn't help, but I was compelled to do it anyway because of the thirst was that intense. Without a doubt, that was one of the most unpleasant experiences of my life. So I tell that story to help paint the reality of what this supposed three days that you always hear about, you know, that, that three days that you can survive without water. Uh, my story should give you an idea of what the reality of that would be like. By the end of the second day, you might still be alive, but you most certainly won't be skipping around singing Yankee Doodle Dandy and firing on all cylinders. By that point, your will to live might be gone or definitely greatly diminished. And that's just as dangerous as anything else, wouldn't you say? 
So yes, it is water that is the greatest consideration for the woodsman. For myself, the most important part of studying a map and making plans to go into the wilderness or the backcountry is to get a sense of where reliable water is or might be and then to plan my excursion accordingly. For each night I plan to be out, I plan my camps as near to water as possible. The reason for this is that once I stop traveling for the day, I want my travel to be done. I don't want to have to travel more for water. I want the water to be right there and I want a limitless supply of it for the entire night. Because I'm going to be cooking, I'm going to be washing, I'm going to be drinking, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to need that water for lots of stuff. And it goes quick. You use a lot, you use a lot more water in a normal day than you'd probably think. So that might be a good exercise for you. Just keep track of all the water you use for during the day. And, uh, you know, work up an estimate for how many gallons we're talking about there. Did you take a shower this morning? It's an awful lot of water, ain't it? Uh, but even if you don't take a shower, you'll be amazed at how, just how much water you use. Do that. Keep track of it for just a day and try to keep track of how many gallons you go through on just a typical day. So because I want a limitless amount of water at night and because I don't want to have to go anywhere for it, I mean, I, want, I don't want to have to hike a mile to get to it. What this means is that in the majority of cases, I will not be staying at any spectacular vista on any ridge or up on any high elevation. Why not? Because it's simply very rare to find dependable water high up. You might find it on a big um, high elevation plain, rolling plain. But in the mountains, you're not going to find it you know, on the, on the top of, of the mountain. The place where you're going to find reliable water, the most dependably, is always at a lower elevation, down in the hollers, at the bottom, you know, between two mountains, or at a, a lower elevation in general. There have been occasions where I see on a map the strong possibility for water down in a holler between two mountains, and then I see that potentially at a higher elevation there might be a really great camp opportunity that is not too far away from that water source you know maybe an hour beyond the the, the last water source of the day in that case i have been known to fill up my water bottle there at that final water source as well as any additional water bladder i might have load those things up full and carry on and spend the night at a higher altitude. However, almost every time I've ever done this, I still end up having to conserve water to get all the way through the night comfortably. And bear in mind that you never want to do anything like this unless you know for a certainty that you won't be walking for very long the next day before coming to more water. So, let's see if that makes sense. I've got right here a hydro pack. I don't know if you guys are familiar with these. Here's one I've had for a while. They've redesigned them since I bought this one. But it's just, it's a water bladder. For those of you watching the video, I know a lot of you are listening to the, just listening to the audio. But I got a hydro pack here. It's three liters. It compacts, I mean, it rolls down to just basically nothing. And I've tied some paracord to it, a shoulder strap paracord. So I can fill this thing up with three liters of water, pitch that over my shoulder and hike with that. And uh, so that, let's say, I fill up my water bottle and I fill up this hydro pack, that's uh, four liters of water that I would be hiking up to that camp spot with. So let me try to paint the picture again. You've been traveling all day on foot. The day's getting long in the tooth. It's toward the end of the day, you come to a stream or a creek, but you don't want to camp there. You want to go on. There's a big vista opportunity or something like that half a mile ahead so you fill your water bottle right there along with you know any of these additional water bladders that you're carrying for just such an occasion and then you hike for another you know, 40 minutes or whatever with all this extra weight so remember most 
the heaviest thing you're going to carry out in the woods is water so now you're, you're carrying four liters of water and uh, in addition to whatever you're carrying on your back already that's a lot of weight but you go on and you set up camp at a place that is barren of water no water whatsoever so now you're on a peak you're on a lookout you're at a vista or something like that it, that's great right you think you got plenty of water to get you through the night and everything but another thing you have to consider is when you continue along hiking the next day how long will it be before you come to the next water source because you've done past the last water source now you're at a place that has no water whatsoever and what I'll tell you is that a person through normal use can go through four liters of water pretty darn fast cooking and drinking all night long and hydrating for the next day and things of that nature I have done that the only time you want to do it is if you know for a fact that the next day you won't be hiking for very long before you come to the next source of water four liters of water even for just a single person can get used up a lot faster than you might imagine what if you don't have a map or what if you find yourself in wilderness that you're completely unfamiliar with how do you find water in that case well you should always have studied a topographical map if you don't have a topographical map with you you should have studied one before you went out always and you should have a couple with you I don't carry just one topo map I carry at least two sometimes three I want redundancies built into my system and uh, I will waterproof those by folding them up and putting them in sandwich bags and sealing the sandwich bags sometimes double triple sandwich bags so you should always be researching beforehand any area that you're going to go into you want to be familiar with the layout of the area all around you the way the mountains and the hollers run the way they lie in relation to one another the major roads or towns to the north south east and west of you major rivers so on and so forth nevertheless a person can become real intuitive about the best places to reliably expect running water and how to find that running water even if you're in wilderness and you, that, that you know nothing about so let's say that you're in wilderness you've not had a chance to, to research it at all you just find yourself in there you know nothing about it a person who is intimate with nature can become very intuitive about the terrain and the geography just by sitting calming down relaxing analyzing it for a little bit from your the spot where you're sitting and trying to understand what the terrain and the geography is doing by that I mean when you first look at <clears throat> the woods the hills the mountains the hollers ravines in a passive way right your mind's not really taking it in you're, you're thinking about other things really it may appear on the surface that there's no rhyme or reason to any of it it's just chaos right the hills do what the hills do and the trees are doing what the trees are doing and the hollers are doing what the hollers are doing but the more you sit and observe it with a bit of thinking it begins to make sense it's not just a bunch of chaos there's actually a flow and a cohesiveness and a kind of a pattern to it all so remember that running water will most reliably be found down between two ravines or hollers so that's always my first place to go for water down into any holler down between two mountains or you know where two hills or two mountains dip down and meet at the bottom if you're at a high elevation and need water do what you can to begin moving to a lower elevation often you'll get lucky you'll actually find seepage or streams coming right out of the side of a mountain even before you get to the bottom one thing I remember about growing up in the woods is that anywhere that it, uh, was unusually lush with plants or where plants were growing unusually large you know almost cartoonishly large like you had stepped back into a prehistoric time just in that little section of the woods you know the, the plants are all growing much larger almost cartoonishly larger and healthier than you'd expect them to do 
that was almost always an indication of unusually moist ground, well-watered ground. Remember the story I told earlier about going a day and a half without water? Are you wondering if uh, Rutt claims to have such an intuition for finding water, why did he find himself so desperate for water on that occasion? Well, it weren't because I didn't know where water was. I knew where there would be water. I just wasn't willing to do what I had to do to go down and get it. Remember, we were following along the spine or, or the, the top of a mountain ridge. Very long, very tall mountain. In order to get water, I'd have had to descend the side of that mountain thousands of feet to get the water. And then, in order to not put myself out, you know, by 30, 40 miles, I'd had to turn around and climb the thousands of feet right back up to the ridge, and I was already exhausted. And I knew that where we were at on the ridge was bringing us very close to civilization. So I just wasn't willing to put myself through that torture. I was already exhausted. I was not willing to go down the mountain. But I, you know, I knew that by going down the mountain, water would be down there. Just wasn't willing to do it. Would have been quite different if I had been totally lost. Uh, I would have dropped down beside that mountain in, in a New York minute, and then I would have followed the ravine. Followed down the, I would have followed water down at the bottom of that ravine. But like I say, the place where we set camp for that night of misery <laughs> placed us about a, oh, I'd reckon a two-hour hike from getting out of the wilderness the next day by continuing along the spine of that that mountain range. And uh, so going thirsty for that night seemed the lesser of the two evils. Let's talk about water filters. In the vast majority of circumstances these days, I do not carry water filters at all. Not at all. For those of you who have been following me from the beginning, you'll remember that back at the beginning, I kind of gave you the the skinny on my background. I, I'm from Appalachia, Central Appalachia in the United States. And I grew up in the Appalachian woods. And uh, throughout my entire childhood, we drank from just the streams back in the woods. Because what would happen is that we lived on so many acres. I mean, you know, probably thousands of acres, thousands, many thousands of acres of w wilderness. And so as kids, we'd get so far back out into the woods, even when our parents would be screaming at the top of our, their lungs for us to come home, we, we'd be too far away to hear them. That's re regularly how far back we would get into the woods where we couldn't even hear our parents yelling for us to come home when it started getting dark or whatever. And, um, you know, we didn't carry any gear with us. The Swiss Army knife is what I had. <laughs> Swiss Army knife is what I've always carried my entire life. But as far as uh, cooking gear and all that stuff and any other equipment, you know, filters, uh, iodine tablets, no nothing like that. We completely relied on the woods. And part of that reliance was just drinking the water that was there. So we would find moving streams and I grew up my entire life drinking out of those streams so that's my background there was a period a couple of years around oh, 2008 2009 when I was really beginning to get into backpacking in other regions and other states and you know exploring other bodies of forest when I bought filters I started buying filters and I started using them mostly because when you look at the backpacking magazines and stuff, that's they tell you you got to have it, don't they? Everybody tells you how terrified you should be of getting Giardia and all sorts of other parasites, right? What would you do if you were the manufacturer of a water filter? Well, you'd create fear. You'd create a, a reason why people should spend 100 bucks on your product, right? And uh, I think that's what that these... Uh, water filter companies are doing they're, they're taking something that is a very low risk if you know what you're you know you, you gotta you gotta know how to recognize clean water from not clean water but a very low risk and they're amplifying greatly the danger and implanting all kinds of worries and fantasies in your mind 
about just how necessary it is for you to have a water filter. Why would they do that? Because they want you to buy their water filter. So there come a time after two, about 2008, 2009, I, I was buying them for about two years. And I started thinking back to my, my whole life growing up. How it was never a problem. Never got sick. Never had parasites. It was never a concern. It didn't become a concern until I started allowing myself to be influenced by big business. Backpacker Magazine. All these folks from the city telling you, <laughs> telling you woodsmen and you woods ladies who grew up knowing better all these things that you suddenly need that you never needed before. What's more is that I realized that, um, I, you know, I began to have experience with these filters. And I realized they were not dependable at all. They were not reliable at all. You spend a lot of money on them and they don't last long enough to warrant what you've spent on them. I have right here. I've got a Katahdin. I know that you folks out there in New England, you don't say Katahdin, you say something else, but uh, uh, you pronounce it differently, but I, I can't remember how that pronunciation is. But here I have a, a Katahdin water filter. I've even stuck a coffee filter there on the bottom of the filter to keep sediment out, but I've never used it. This is one of those pump styles, so I remember, again, I know that the, some people are just listening to this and not watching, but I'm showing right now this Katahdin water filter <laughs> that I've never used. It's got a pump, you stick one side down into the water, you stick the other tube down, in, down into your water bottle, and uh, you pump it, and it filters water. It works great for about five times. It doesn't matter how clear the water appears to be that you are filtering. There's sediment in it. When you're filtering water out of a creek or a stream or something like that, there's very fine sediment in the water, uh, minerals, nutrients, stuff like that, that are good for you, by the way. Yes, the sediment and the minerals are good for you and you're filtering those out. Now, let's say that there is something bad in the water. Well, you're filtering that out too, and that's great. But these things clog up so fast, and what happens is when they do, then the pump doesn't work. You have to push with all your might just to get drips to drip, uh, a filter water to drip into your water bottle. Now, here's another thing about these. Do you know what people do? when they finish using these things they roll it all up they stick it down in the same bag and then what happens the water on the tubes that have just been immersed in supposedly contaminated water it's still on everything so when you stick it all into the same bag it all all that supposedly contaminated water drips over everything else i realize this is this is not for real this is mostly an imaginary need. And uh, so I stopped carrying the Katahdin water filters. I'll tell you, the very first one I bought was the most expensive they have on the market. It cost me about 300 bucks. And it was made out of ceramic. So instead of a paper filter on the inside, it was ceramic. And supposedly you could take that thing apart in the backcountry and boil that ceramic center and clean it all up. And it, in theory, should work for you for a hundred years or something like that. It didn't even last me a single year for all I paid for it and it didn't even last me a single year and I tried to clean it, I did everything they told me to do and it was done so there's you know I think at the time when I paid for it in 2008 it was like $300 item uh, so there just completely shot $300 down the drain I've never been sick before in my life from just drinking straight from water sources out in the woods and here I got the idea that they must know and so I must it, that must be something I need all of a sudden bought it and that was three hundred dollars down the drain uh, I, right here I have a, a grail mug now this is another item that I was so excited about when I first learned about them and again those of you who are just listening let me describe what I'm showing everybody it, it's a mug but on the inside of the mug you 
you twist it and pull it up and it's got a filter on the inside so it's like a, a two-piece thing so it's got this reservoir bottom it just looks like a cup and then it's got a second reservoir that you push down into the the outer reservoir and that pushes water up into the main reservoir <laughs> those of you who are just listening might have to watch this later to understand what i'm talking about and that pushes water into the main reservoir and then that filters everything it filters even filters out like uh, uh chemical pollution and stuff like that these things seem great don't they but they have the same problem after about i'm going to say 10 uses so let's say that you're out in the woods for three days you're going to use it at least 10 times right on a three-day trip out in the woods and so what it basically so after just a single trip let's say 10 uses or so the thing begins to get so clogged up that it won't filter water that means a fairly gigantic expense for every single excursion into the woods unnecessarily commercialized and built upon an irrational and false fear that all the water out there is trying to kill you and um, about this grail I gave this thing no hard use I just kept this in my Jeep for emergencies I uh, took it out fishing one time showed it off to my buddy I said hey look at this scooped water right out of the lake and drank it using this grail filter that's the hardest I used this thing and look it's broken the the top is just glued on and it just it just broke so there again 100 bucks down the drain for a completely worthless unnecessary filter so it is my opinion that water filters for the woodsman are 90% gimmick money making gimmick and are unnecessary in most cases how about live straw that's pretty popular because it don't cost a whole lot cost about five bucks or ten bucks I can't remember those things require so much suction to pull water through them it's a really unpleasant experience and because it's only about six or seven inches long or so to drink with it straight from a water source requires you to get down on your belly in the most unnatural drinking position and have your face pitched forward inches from whatever puddle you're drinking out of it's in a really um, unnatural drinking position and it's just terrible the 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 suction that you have to draw with your mouth to get water to flow through there is very hard and it's not pleasant now an option another option would be to just uh, scoop the water up with your mug and then use the life straw through out of your mug that is a possibility and they're very light they're not too expensive but again they will jam up with sediment and those sorts of things only after you know a handful of uses so it really comes down to is it is that necessary is that expense even necessary it's probably great for folks who are in like third world countries where water clean water is harder to come by but not here in the united states that reminds me of a story it's not on my outline here but it reminds me of it um, I was backpacking I was hiking out at uh, Yosemite National Park in California remind me to tell you about that sometime by the way I was way up above where all the tourists stop at the falls I walked right up on the most massive mountain lion I've ever seen in my entire life and it was the most vulnerable I've ever felt in my life. There was no body around. I was up there in a very high elevation alone with a, with a buddy. And we were just walking along talking, come up into this little wooded area because most of the area up there is bald, bald land. We come into this little patch of woods and right there in front of us was this enormous mountain lion crouched hunting something, turned the other way, not looking at us, but turned the other way crouched hunting something muscles rippling through those shoulders and the realization that there's nothing between her and me literally nowhere to go was <laughs> it was a it was quite an experience but we 
I stuck my hand out, stopped my buddy. He didn't see her. Stopped him from walking, and I just backed us out of there. Just kept my eyes on her and backed us out of there. And when we got far enough distance, I'll tell you what, my knees were clicking and clacking together like like cartoon character. Uh, and that's a true story. But anyway, another story about that is uh, going up, taking this high climb up into the top of the Yosemite Mountains, which I hated, by the way, because it was so touristy. There were 900 other people following us up on the same trail. All the signs said, don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. Well, I run my water out. And I took a look at the thing. All this water gushing down from the higher altitudes. And the water was coming down and running through these rocks. Through, like, miles of rocks. And I said to myself, well, that water's fine to drink. It's moving, it's clear, it's being filtered by all these rocks. I don't know why they don't want us to drink that water. I'm drinking it. And I scooped up a big bunch of that water coming, that was coming down the Yosemite mountains, being filtered through all those rocks. And you know, the 900 other people on the trail were like, what are you doing? You can't do that. I said, well, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> No, you're going to get sick. I said, no, I'm not going to get sick. This water's fine to drink. It's all, it's all being filtered through all these rocks. And I drank and drank and drank until I was bloated on that supposedly terribly dangerous water with no ill effects whatsoever. In fact, the buddy that was with me on that hike, he finally broke down and did the same thing. Well, he says, I guess we'll find out. And uh, I said, no, trust me, this water's fine to drink. I don't know why they have all these signs up. It's probably the park's protection, you know, protecting themselves from any liability. But I said, uh, this water is fine to drink. I was confident in it. I drank to my full content that whole day, all the way up, all the way down, and nothing. I was fine. So was my buddy. He was fine. You know, I've tried, I've tried almost every filter that they have out there on the market at one time or another within those, you know, those very brief couple of years where I, I thought it was for some reason was hypnotized into thinking it was necessary. Uh, but I don't use any filters anymore. My biggest complaint about them, you know, the water filters in general is that they're not dependable at all. So whatever system that I build up for self-reliance has to be reliable. I have to be able to depend on it. And the, the fact of the matter is that you cannot depend on filters. They will stop working at a time that is most convenient for them and least convenient for you. To rely on water filters is to handicap yourself. To understand why you have to understand that all water in nature, no matter how clear and crystal clear and beautiful it is, has sediment and nutrients and minerals in it. So when you're filtering that water, first of all, you're filtering out all the good stuff, all the good stuff that makes that water so good for you and tasty and wonderful. And the second thing is that all that sediment and those minerals will clog your water filter at the worst possible times on you. And if you're reliant on them, what a hassle, what a handicap. Think about this. This trip that uh, my buddy and I just went out there, it was 10 degrees, you know, minus 12 degrees Celsius, 10 degrees Fahrenheit. That was the high during the day. So if you can imagine at night, it was much colder. Let's say that you had, you were out in conditions like that and you filtered water through a filter and then you go to bed at night. Is there any way to get all of the moisture out of your filter before you go to bed at night or before you pack that thing away? The answer is no. So what's going to happen the next day? Your, your filter is compromised. You can't trust it because it's frozen and expanded during the night and it's broke something. So you've wasted all your money on it. It's not dependable when you need it most, right? And it can't withstand any of the rigors of real life out in the woods. So what do I do instead? Number one, I rely on my ability to find natural, clean, running, running, Jenny, like, Force Gump, you know, running, natural, clean, running water in nature. 
or natural springs. Natural springs come up straight out of the ground even though they're not like running like a creek or a stream or anything like that. They, they come straight out of the ground. They're filtered straight from the ground and, and form these little pools. Number two, I rely on boiling. If I have to, I can always boil water. And number three, I rely on things like iodine tablets. Now I have a couple of things here I want to show you. I couldn't find my iodine tablets for this show. I'll find them later. But you, what I'm holding up here are a couple of little containers that I got from staying at hotels. This one's mouthwash. Just come from staying at a hotel, and I, you know, threw it into my toiletries bag and hung on to it for the container. And this one here is a shampoo. Now these little things are like two and a half ounces, I think, two ounces. And what you can do is you can empty these, and you can fill those with bleach, you know, just Clorox, two drips from those into a liter bottle of water will purify that water so you don't need to buy expensive uh, iodine tablets if you don't want to if you can overlook a slight taste of bleach or Clorox then just a couple of drops of Clorox in each two liter or each liter pardon each liter bottle of water will purify your water you just put a couple drips drops in there seal it up shake it up a little bit we'll wait 20 minutes or so and that will have purified your water so it's a really you know who doesn't have clorox or bleach in their house i usually carry uh iodine tablets and those are just in case boiling is just in case boiling is typically for uh stale water you know, non-moving water if i pull water out of a puddle or something like that definitely not going to drink that just the way it is definitely going to boil that so those are my th those are my three approaches to water in the woods. My ability you're relying on my ability to find clean, natural running water on my own, just out in nature. Number two, boiling would be the next priority. Number three would be iodine tablets. But I very rarely have to resort to number two or three. Now you might be wondering, in over forty years of drinking water out of the woods unfiltered untreated have i ever had a negative experience have i ever ended up with giardia or uh, that diarrhea or a parasite or anything like that the answer is yes one time in over 40 years i did have a negative experience one time but the only reason i had a negative experience is because i ignored my intuition and the reason why I ignored my intuition was because it was the last day of a backpacking trip on the day that my daughter was being born. So I was out in the woods, and that's a long story in its, of itself. The doctor told me I had nothing to worry about. I could go on this trip. My daughter wasn't due for another three weeks. So I said, okay, well, we'll get this last trip in. And we went on this long backpacking trip. And on the very last day, all the phone calls and stuff started coming through. I got to a place where I had a, a signal from my phone. And I learned that my daughter was being born. So we cut the trip short. And we were trying to head out of there as fast as we could. And we had about an hour left to go to get back to where we had parked. And we crossed this creek. And... <laughs> Even looking at the creek, I specifically thought to myself, I really need to, to I really should not drink straight out of, out of that. There were a few warning signs that were making me think that. And my intuition was telling me, you probably should not just drink straight out of there. But I ignored my intuition because I said to myself, I just want to get out of here as fast as possible. I want to get to the hospital, see my daughter. And I, so I scooped up some water drank out of that and um, no sooner had I drunk you know a big pot of that water I hear a car there's a road right there from upstream from where the water is coming and I said to myself oh my goodness I'm going to pay for that because you want to talk about contamination you don't want to be drinking anything coming from the direction of a road and that's what had happened i drank out water and there was a road i'm not kidding you not not 50 yards away i couldn't see it 
because of the tree line and you know the trees yeah as soon as i filled my guts up with that water the, i heard this truck come rolling down the road right there uh, gum. well that one's going to come back and bite me i bet you and a month passed and i got this rash on my belly and i started scratching that rash didn't know what it was i just thought it was like a breakout or i had dry skin or something this is a whole month later mind you and i've forgotten about it forgotten about that experience that drinking out of that creek and i started watching i started developing a high fever and i kept waiting for myself to come down with the flu or a cold or something and that never happened and so i said to myself well, what is going on here my body's trying to fight something scratch scratches i'm scratching my my belly and i look down at that rash and i go oh my gosh i know what this is i've got a pair i picked up a parasite from when i drank out of that creek on that last day of that backpacking trip and uh, i watched that thing over the next few days and it it developed into like a big uh this is grossing a lot of you out i'm sure it was a giant in the shape of a worm giant worm right across my belly under the skin and uh, the way i took care of that is that i took nothing to bring my fever down and my fever soared to like 103 104 for like five days straight i was allowing my fever to do that so that it could do what it needed to do you know it was trying to kill that thing and uh, and that's what happened it did kill that thing and my fever when my fever broke uh the rash cleared up the parasite was gone i reckon my body just absorbed its leftovers but that's that's the only time and again the reason why that happened the only reason why it happened because i ignored warning signs I ignored my intuition and it's the only time I've ever had any negative effect from drinking water in the woods over you know over 40 years for over 40 years if you're in genuine wilderness the odds of being of your water being anywhere near a road or anything like that is next to zero most of the water running water out there is good for you to drink now here's something to keep in mind running water has to be contaminated so for people who are not very familiar with these things a lot of city folk think well you can't just drink the water the water will make you sick all the water out there is trying to kill you it's all contaminated it's all trying to make you sick that's not true the natural state of water in the wilderness is that it's clean and, and ready to drink running water in order for it not to be clean, there has to be a source of contamination. It's not just contaminated on its own. There has to be a source of contamination. Running water in nature is naturally clean to drink. If it's not clean to drink, it's because something, some specific thing is contaminating it. To give you an example, any type of animal activity. If, you're look, if you come across a creek or a little stream or something, and you want to drink out water, what you want to do is you want to look upstream. You want to look upstream a little ways for any obvious animal activity, like disturbed, matted vegetation, maybe a corpse, the corpse of an animal. So much as a chipmunk dying right there by the stream can be enough to contaminate the water from that part of the stream down downstream. Uh, you want to look for scat droppings. The reason why I say you look for animal activity or disturbed matted, matted vegetation, you want to see where the animals are coming up and drinking out of the stream. If there's a spot there where they're coming up, it's a, it's a watering spot in the creek or the stream. What they're doing is while they're drinking there, um, while they're coming to drink, all the wildlife in the forest is peeing right there in that area when they drink you'd want to drink of course upstream from that if you do that with moving water you'll be fine uh so you want to look for scat droppings those sorts of things anywhere near the water or in the water any types of corpses in the water you want to pay attention to which direction the water's coming from look up that way what do you see up there if there's a nuclear power plant up there you probably don't want to drink the water if there's a big dead cow or a, a, a big dead buff uh, bigfoot up there you probably don't want to drink that water you probably want to move upstream from that to drink the water I'm about in the case of my parasite story 
you definitely don't want to drink the water if there's a road right up there or a bridge or something like that. Just don't do it. Here's a saying that I think I come up with. I might have picked it up from my dad, but I've been saying it for years. It's, if you got a trickle, you got water. And what's that mean? It means sitting water, stagnant water is a big no. The only time you want to drink sitting or stagnant water, you know, a pond, is sitting water. A lake is sitting water. You don't want to drink that unless you're going to boil that water, unless you're going to treat that water. But anytime I find trickling or running water, that's a big yes. I'll drink that water straight out, straight out of the source, after I look around for just a brief minute to confirm that it's safe to drink. Um, just because there might be contamination doesn't mean you can't still drink the water. So in nature, there's a natural filtration process happening all along the flow of water. So even if you find a contaminated spot in a, in a creek or a stream, typically that water is it's rushing down through leaves, through rocks, through branches, through all these you know things that have fallen into the creek, which are not uh, contamination in themselves. You know, a stick falling into the water is not going to contaminate the water. Rocks, leaves, those sorts of things uh, are not bad for the water. What they're doing is they're filtering the water as it flows. So if you get far enough downstream even, even if there's a source of contamination, you know, a little while ways upstream, uh, you might still be able to drink that water just fine. Larger bodies of water, creeks, rivers, here's what I have to think about those. The larger the body of water, even if it's flowing, the larger the opportunities for contamination. So you should be seeing a video here of me backpacking out at Red River Gorge in Kentucky. Big old river there. Uh, we were you know, planning on getting pulling water out of there to drink, and I said, I don't really want to do that if I don't have to. Even, even boiling that, I don't really want to drink it. Let me see if I can find something else. And so uh, I walked just a little bit of ways up and onto the side of this hill, and I found a stream a little gurgling stream or a brook coming down from the woods that was feeding right into that river. There's my water for the night. I'm always going to choose the smaller trickling source of water over the larger sources of water. Why? Larger body of water, larger opportunity for contamination. I pulled water out of that gurgling stream all night long and that was delicious, wonderful water. Did not have to filter it, didn't have to do anything. And uh, it was a lot clearer a lot more delicious than anything I would have pulled out of that big old river. Even though the river also is flowing, it's not stagnant water, it's definitely flowing, but it's so large, the, the opportunities for contamination are also very large. Smaller streams are more reliable. And now, I should be showing you right now and narrating for you this hike that I took with my daughter yesterday and we stopped and I took some video, some water to demonstrate what I'm talking about. In this video, you should be seeing a large body of water, a creek. That water's flowing. I would not preferably drink out of that water. Even boiling it, I wouldn't prefer drinking out of that water because it's not going to taste as good. It's a larger body of water. There's lot larger opportunities for contamination. Now, if you'll notice here in this video, that you should be seeing now, there is a much smaller stream that is feeding into the creek. What do you notice about it? Much clearer, isn't it? Much more appealing. Uh, it's almost crystal clear, that water. It's got a nice flow to it. I look up the stream to check to see where it's coming from. Okay, it's coming from pure wilderness. Now I look for animal activity. Do I see any animal activity? Do I see any corpses? Do I see any poop? Do I see any matted grass or anything like that where the entire forest is coming and using it as a water hole and peeing and pooping and stuff like that? No, I don't see any of that. So I would move just a little bit for, further up that stream that, I, you, that I'm showing you or just showed you. I'd pull from that and drink that straight, straight, out, of the, straight out of the creek or the stream. So there you go, folks. That should be a pretty comprehensive discussion about water. If you guys have any questions or anything, you guys hit me up in the comments. Oh, the announcements. This program is available both as an audio-only format 
in, in its podcast form. It's also available in video format on uh, either YouTube or Rumble. Our online community, exclusive online community that I'm trying to get going, which is pretty dead right now, I won't lie to you. Ain't nobody talking on there except for me. But it might not always be that way. Uh, that online community is on the Locals platform. You can join us by going to thepracticalwoodsman.locals.com or by downloading the locals.com app from the App Store and searching for The Practical Woodsman. Guys, have a wonderful weekend, and I will talk to you in the next episode of The Practical Woodsman. You all take care. <laughs>